Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm whole, the whole, sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to the Royal Marine of 40 Commando, who died from wounds sustained in Afghanistan at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, on Monday, and the two soldiers from the 1st Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's regiment, who died yesterday. We should send our sincere condolences to their family and to their friends, and we should pay tribute to the exceptional work of our armed forces serving in Afghanistan, and perhaps today in particular to the highly skilled doctors and nurses who work alongside them and those who treat the injured personnel back in the UK. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Philip Davis. Will my right honourable friend accept that the millions of people who voted Conservative at the last election in order to make him Prime Minister didn't do so in order to see a reduction in the number of people sent to prison or to see them given, those criminals given softer sentences? And if he really wants to reduce the budget of the prison service, can I suggest he starts by taking away Sky TV from the 4,000 prisoners who enjoy that luxury in their cells? Yeah. <laughs> Can I thank my honourable friend for that helpful suggestion? I, I, he knows that I share his views about the need for a tough response to crime. The challenge is going to be delivering that tough response at a time when the last government left us absolutely no money. So what I would, what I would say to my honourable friend is we've got to address the failures in the system. The fact that half of all prisoners uh, in prison are on drugs. The, the fact that more than one in ten are foreign nationals who shouldn't be here in the first place. And the fact that 40% of them commit another crime within one year of leaving prison. That's the record of failure we've inherited and it's the record of failure we've got to reform. Yeah. Harriet Harman. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the Royal Marine of 40 Commando who died on Monday and two soldiers from 1st Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment, who died? We honour their sacrifice and we remember all our servicemen and women who are fighting so bravely for our country. Though this morning, Mr Speaker, saw the unemployment claimant count fall, unemployment is still too high. Behind these figures are real people and real concerns. Can, can, he, can, he promise, can he promise that none of the policies that he will put in his budget next week will put more people out of work? Well, first of all, let me agree with the Right Honourable Lady that any rise in unemployment is a tragedy, not least for those people desperately looking for work who want to put food on the table for their families. The figures this morning are a mixed picture. On the one hand, the claimant count is down. On the other hand, though, the International Labour Organisation measure of unemployment is up by 23,000. What I can say to her is that we will bring in our work programme, which is going to be the biggest, boldest scheme for getting people back to work as soon as we can, and everything that will be... Honourable members should remember why we've had record unemployment in this country, because of the record of failure we inherited. But what I can... What I can tell her is that everything we do in the forthcoming budget will be about giving this country a strong economy with sustainable public finances and clearing up the mess left by the person sitting next to her. Uh, 
In fact, ILO unemployment is down on last month, and he should welcome that. Now, he's criticised our plans, but the uh, OBR says, published this week, that under Labour's plans, unemployment is set to fall. Will he promise that he won't do anything in his budget next week which will cause unemployment to rise? We're talking about his policies in his budget. Well, well, first of all, the Honourable Lady is just wrong about the figures, actually, on the ILO claimant count. The ILO figures are up and the claimant count is down. Yes, they, they are. If she looks at the figures, she'll discover that. She asks about the budget. <laughs> she, she asks about the budget. I have to say, I am still waiting for the budget submission from the Labour Party. Yeah. But I tell you, can I tell, tell Honourable Members why? Let me tell Honourable Members why. Before the last election, before the last election, they set out £50 billion of spending reductions, including £18 billion of reductions in capital spending. But they did not set out one penny piece of where any of that money was coming from. So when they look forward to the budget next week and start asking about what we're going to do, perhaps they can have the decency of telling us what they would have done. He didn't listen to what I said on ILO unemployment, which is that it is down on last month, and he didn't answer the question either. Now, he's already cut the Future Jobs Fund. He won't guarantee to drop policies that push unemployment up. He talks about the deficit, but how does putting more people on the dole help get the deficit down? Perhaps she should consider this this following statement about the importance of sorting out the budget deficit, and it's this. Public finances... Honourable honourable members ought to listen to this. Public finances must be sustainable. If they are not, then it is the poor, the elderly and those on fixed incomes who depend on public services who suffer most. Who said that? The right honourable member for Kirkcaldy, when he used to talk some sense in the old days. Confirm, since he's talking about new politics and transparency, will he confirm and will he welcome that the OBR forecast that under the plans we put in place, unemployment will be lower this year, next year and the year after, and that borrowing will be lower this year, next year and the year after than we forecast in our budget? Will he confirm that and will he welcome it? What I can tell the Honourable Lady about the Office of Budget Responsibility, and first of all, first of all, first of all, shouldn't she welcome the fact that these things are now independently determined rather than rather than fiddled in the Treasury. What the Office of Budget Responsibility shows is that the structural deficit is going to be £12 billion higher, and the growth forecast that the Chancellor of the Exchequer produced at the time of the budget were a complete fiction. I can answer his question, although, to be fair, he's supposed to be answering mine. support the OBR, he won't say whether he welcomes the forecast that I set out earlier, but it's clear what he's doing. He's talking the economy down. He's talking the public yeah, he's talking the public he's talking the public finances down to soften the public up for cuts that he wants to make. But doesn't he realise that in doing so he's also undermining business confidence? How can that be right? 
what, what the right honourable lady and all members opposite have got to remember, never mind talking the economy down, they did the economy down. They left this country with a £155 billion deficit, the biggest deficit in our peacetime history. They're the ones who let the banks go rip, who told us they'd abolish boom and bust, gave us the biggest boom and the biggest bust. They were the ones who told us we were going to lead the world out of recession. Our recession was longer and deeper than others. They haven't told us one single penny of the £50 billion that they were going to cut. Not one penny. And do you know where they ought to start? Why not start with an apology? Mr Speaker, if he thought our spending plans were so bad, if he, if, he, if he thought our spending plans were so bad, why did he back them right up till the end of 2008, praising them, Mr Speaker, as tough? One minute he's praising them, then he's causing them, calling them reckless. It's not so much magic numbers, it's a magic roundabout that he's been on. that in the budget next week he won't hit the poorest and he won't throw people out of work. Does he agree with us that unemployment is never a price worth paying? Well, Mr Speaker, the, the figures were wrong and the jokes weren't much good either. Never mind the magic roundabout. What we're all enjoying on this side of the House is the Labour leadership election, although it is, by day, beginning to look more like a Star Trek convention. <laughs> What the, um, what the, uh, beam me up. What the, what the Honourable Lady has got to answer is before the election, they set out £50 billion of cuts, but not a single penny aligned to a single programme. Not one pence of the £18 billion they were cutting off capital spending aligned to one single bit of capital expenditure. So before she starts challenging us about cuts, they should first of all apologise for the mess that they've left, second of all tell us where the cuts were going to come to under their government, and third of all recognise that a responsible party in coalition is actually dealing with a deficit and the mess that they left behind. Sir Alan Hazelhurst. Despite the huge satisfaction felt in my constituency at the government's decision not to proceed with the second runway at Stansted Airport, is my right honourable friend aware that blight and uncertainty still overhangs the communities closest to the airport? And will he look to see if other measures could be taken to provide them with longer term assurance? Well, can I first of all say what a pleasure it is to see my uh, honourable friend be able to speak about these issues for the first time in many, many years, and I'm sure he will do so often and with great power uh, from the back benches. He's right to say that in the coalition agreement we're very clear uh, about Stansted Airport. I hope that does remove some of the blight and uncertainty, and I'll certainly bear in mind what he had to say. Andrew Miller. During the general election, the uh, Conservative Party uh, distanced themselves from remarks by the Right Honourable Gentleman for, for Rushcliffe uh, when he spoke about government aid and said it had nothing to do with Vauxhall. 
Will the Prime Minister take this opportunity to remove the uncertainty, not only just from Vauxhall, but from Sheffield Forge Masters and all of the other companies that are waiting for support in relation to properly constructed agreements? Well, can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, everyone wants to see uh, Vauxhall succeed. It's a very important company employing many people in this country, not least in his own constituency. As he knows, a £270 million government loan guarantee to support GM Europe was announced on 12 March 2010. We are reviewing commitments made since 1 January 2010. Projects that are good value for money and consistent with the government's priorities will go ahead. But let me say to the Honourable Lady and others uh, uh, shouting opposite, we have to be clear that there were spending announcements made by the previous government before the election that do need to be reviewed. If If I just take one example of one scheme operated by Lord Mandelson's department, the so-called Strategic Investment Fund, when we looked at the money provided for specific projects, we found that over two-thirds of the constituencies were marginal Labour seats. So so it is right to examine these, but let me say to the Honourable Gentleman, proper grants properly made for proper reasons will go ahead, but fiddled grants for political reasons shouldn't do. Stuart Andrew. Uh, the 16-year-old son of my constituent, Lorraine Fraser, died after a vicious multiple knife attack incident six years ago. One of the murderers is trying to use the law to reduce his tariff after only serving five years, and another avoided uh, conviction altogether by fleeing the country. Would he agree to look into this case on behalf of my constituent and meet with her to hear her plight and the excellent work she's doing to defeat knife crime in this country? I certainly hear what my honourable friend says and would be happy to meet with him and his constituent. And I think we need to take knife crimes in this country incredibly seriously. There has been a huge increase in the carrying of knives and we've got to put a stop to that. In terms of lenient sentences, the power that was introduced uh, some 20 years ago now to allow the Attorney General to appeal against lenient sentences, I'm not convinced that power is used enough. And I I think we need to look at that again and make sure that in cases where people really feel a lenient sentence has been put in place, there should be the opportunity to increase it. John Woodcock. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The defence contracts for astute-class submarines signed in March of of this year were long negotiated and essential for our security and for thousands of manufacturing jobs in my constituency and across the UK. Will he honour them? Well, first of all, can I welcome the Honourable Gentleman and and say how much I know uh, that his constituency depends on uh, the the work that goes on in Barrow in the submarine yards. I visited it myself. I've seen for myself the building of astute class submarines and also the submarines carrying our our nuclear deterrent. I know how important it is. We do have a defence review underway. That defence review has to include uh, the astute class submarines. But everyone, and and to those who, who, who call from opposite, let me just say, the Labour Party was committed to a defence review itself. And we asked the question whether everything, including aircraft carriers, was included, and the answer came back yes. So it's no good trying to bicker now you're in opposition. It's right we have a defence review. It's right we consider these things. Uh, but I know how important submarine building is to Barrow and to the defence of this nation. Mr David Evernote. Thank you very much. Um, members opposite may revere regional development agencies, but is my uh, right honourable friend aware of the considerable amount of money wasted by some RDAs, particularly on unnecessary expenditure and entertainment, 
Can he confirm that in order to get better value for taxpayers' money, he will take action on the RDAs? Well, my honourable friend is right, and, and I know there's a lot of uh, argument and discussion going on about regional development agencies, but the figures for how much money has been wasted should be more widely shared. The East Midlands Development Agency paid over £300,000 for offices in North America. The North West Development Agency shared an office in Newport Beach. Uh, One North East uh, spent money on offices in China, Japan, Korea, Australia. CEDA, the South East Development Agency, the chairman of it, spent £51,000 pounds on taxes and executive cars in one year alone. I have to say, we need to have proper control of costs and proper control of spending. There hasn't been any for the last 13 years and there sure is going to be under this government. Margaret Hodge. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I tell the Prime Minister about my constituents, Nikki Blunden, who is 37. She has a son aged four and she is dying of cancer. A consultant wants to prescribe the new drug Lepatinib, which could prolong her life. Last week, NICE deemed the treatment not to be cost-effective. Will the Prime Minister stick to his promise not to hide behind NICE and ensure that the PCT funds forthwith this NHS treatment? Nikki Blunden cannot wait. I ask the Prime Minister to act. Well, I'm grateful for the, to the Honourable Lady for asking that question. I mean, my heart goes out to her constituent, Nikki Blunden, and we do want to see these cancer drugs get to patients more quickly without the bureaucratic wheels uh, taking so long to turn. That's why we're establishing the Cancer Drugs Fund. I will discuss with my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Health, how quickly that can be done. I want it, if possible, to be done uh, this year rather than next year. If it can be done, it will be done, and if those drugs can be got to people like your um, constituent, and we all have constituents in this position, then I'll do everything I can to make that happen. Mr Douglas Carswell. The Prime Minister knows that I'm always and everywhere for referendums. Could you tell the House, though, why is he planning a referendum on AV, which was not in the manifesto of either coalition party, but not a referendum on European integration, something all three parties were recently promising? Well, well what, I can, what I can promise my honourable friend is that we will have the legislation on the referendum lock so that it will not be possible in future for a British government to pass powers from Westminster to Brussels without asking the British people first. seems to me that is absolutely right. In terms of the referendum on the alternative vote, it was part of the coalition agreement. He will be free to campaign on whatever side of the referendum uh, that he, he wants to, but that was part of the agreement that put together this government, which I believe is rolling up its sleeves and sorting out the country's problems. Jim Dobbin. Mr Speaker, there are around 1.5 million people who suffer from uh, involuntary tranquilizer addiction through medical prescribing, um, and it totally ruins their life. Um, Can the government, or will the government, look at investment uh, in cost-effective, supportive, long-term withdrawal uh, treatment programmes to enable them to lead a normal life, come off benefits and go back to work. Well, let me praise the Honourable Gentleman for for his interest in this uh, work, because I know he's chairman of the all-party group on this issue. It is an extremely difficult issue, and the last government I know had set up a review into addiction to prescription and over-the-counter medicines, and we're waiting for that report uh, to come out, and we'll study it carefully when it does. Let me just make two points. First of all, I do think there's a problem in our National Health Service more generally in that we spend so much time always treating the symptoms rather than necessarily going to the causes. 
and I think we could probably reduce the level of painkillers and tranquilizers if we were doing more through things like physiotherapy and other therapies to deal with the problem in the first place. The second point is this. All addictions uh, need to be given uh, proper attention and proper treatment and therapy to get people off their addiction, whatever it happens to be. And I'm sure the report will make mention of that. Sir Alan Beath. Will the Prime Minister respond positively to the Rural Communities Commission's Uplands Inquiry, which reveals the great value and potential of the magnificent hill areas such as we have in Northumberland, but underlines that we need to make sure that hill farmers have an adequate income and ensure that there are rented homes, apprenticeships and services like broadband to enable young people to stay in these areas? Um, I will certainly look at this report carefully, and I have every sympathy with what the uh, Honourable Gentleman says. Our upland landscape is as beautiful as it is because it's been farmed uh, for, for, for centuries, and we need to recognise the connection between beautiful landscape and active farming. We want our countryside to be a living, working countryside, not a museum. So I'll look at that report carefully. One extra point is, I think in terms of housing, and he made the point about housing, We've got to recognise that the top-down target system wasn't working. And our plans that are in the coalition agreement to, to let communities decide more, including villages decide more, if they want to put in extra homes, that is a good way of helping to keep the pub and the post office and the local shops and the local schools open. And I hope we can take forward that work. Elfin Fluid. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, even as we speak, I'm sure that the Prime Minister and his team will be looking to make savings and cuts, possibly, hopefully, without affecting frontline services. May I commend to him one way of saving £7.2 million a day, bring the troops home from Afghanistan? Well, I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, I just don't agree with him. I think that if we brought the troops home precipitately, if we did it straight away, I think not only would we be letting down our NATO allies, not only would we be letting down uh, the Afghan people, we would also be creating a situation in which the Taliban would return and the danger of terrorist training camps in Afghanistan would come straight back. Now, I know that what we're doing is dangerous and difficult and it is costing us dearly. I'm acutely aware of that, of course, but what I think we need to do is put our effort and our shoulder behind the wheel of the Obama McChrystal plan to make sure it works as best as it can and accompany that military surge with a political surge as well, seeking a political settlement to get Taliban fighters to put down their arms and reintegrate into Afghan society. That is the way to create some stability in Afghanistan. Never a perfect democracy, but some stability, in which case our troops can come home with their heads held high. Ms Anne McIntosh. Will the Prime Minister join with me in paying tribute to all who work for the health service, but would he nevertheless examine the circumstances in which patients are so often discharged from hospital only to be readmitted very soon after their discharge? Will he also look at the continuing health care, which has become something of a postcode lottery in the assessment, to make sure that continuous health care is paid for on the basis of clinical need? but I think one answer will do. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, the one answer I will give is this. I know there is a big problem here with um, hospitals sometimes discharging patients, sometimes to meet their own targets and, and financial targets, but not thinking of the longer-term consequence if that patient has to return to hospital. And that's why my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Health, has announced that um, we will ensure hospitals are responsible for patients, not just during their treatment, but also for the 30 days after they've been discharged. I think that way we can better 
better link health and social care to make sure that when people leave hospital, it's in the right time, in the right way, and they're leaving for good. Mr Stephen Hepburn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Siemens are proposing to close Trench UK in my constituency and transfer its production over to France and Germany. This is in spite of the fact that Trench UK have a full order book, have healthy profits and are exporting all over the world. It's a first class product. Would the Prime Minister meet with me so we can discuss this illogical decision which could lose the UK the jewel in manufacturing? Well, I'd certainly meet with the Honourable Gentleman, and I know um, how frustrating this can be. Siemens are a big investor in my uh, constituency too, and the jobs that he's speaking about are exactly the sort of high-tech, high-skilled jobs that we want to keep in this country. So I'll certainly meet with him, and we will do what we can in the budget to make sure that we have in this country a tax regime and support for apprenticeships and support for training that will want to make businesses come and locate and stay and invest in Britain. Mr. Adam Holloway. Um, every household in Gravesham has inherited a sort of second mortgage of debt. Can the Prime Minister give us some idea of uh, the, the level of debt per household across the country? Well, look, my honourable friend is entirely right that every single person in this country is now carrying £22,000 of debt because of the mess that the last Labour government left us. And the fact is this, if we don't do something about it, by the end of this Parliament, we will be paying £70 billion in debt interest. That is more than we spend on schools, more than we spend on defence. It would be a tragic waste of money. That's why, however painful, we've got to get to grips with the deficit that we were left by the last Labour government. Barry Gardner. Can the Prime Minister explain why the changes to local government funding last week mean that in Whitney in Oxfordshire they will see an uplift of 1.7%, whilst children in Brent will see a loss from their education budget of 1.88 million? And can it have anything to do with his, uh, with his Minister for Local Government's statement last week to the House that those in greatest need ultimately bear the burden of paying off the debt? Yeah. Well, I'm sure the Honourable Gentleman will welcome what we are going to introduce, which is a pupil premium, so the money follows the poorest children in our country to the schools that they go to. That is what's going to happen. That's what he should support, and I'll look forward to him supporting it when it comes. Mr Graham Brady. Uh, as he strives to restore sanity to our national finances, uh, will my right honourable friend also give a word of reassurance that the budget next week uh, will seek to encourage and support those who save and provide for their own future? Yeah. Well, my honourable friend is entirely right. We've got to make sure that in what we do, we actually help those who try to do the right thing, who try to save and try to look after themselves and their families. The first thing we have to do is to keep control of inflation, to keep the Bank of England independent, to make sure the budget is supporting uh, the, the um, tough approach on inflation. That's the worst thing for savers. The second thing we can do is make sure that we don't discourage saving by having so many people reliant on a means test, and that's why we are committed to linking the state pension back to earnings. But what I would say is this. There are no easy ways of reducing this deficit. There are some people who, who believe that it can be got all from one area or all from another. I'm afraid it is going to be a difficult task. We will do everything we can to take the whole country with us. We're going to need to have a responsible debate about uh, how we do it. But it has to be done for the good of our country. Luciana Berger. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
In the past week, I've been contacted by students and parents in my constituency who are devastated to have been told that geography and politics courses at Liverpool Johns Moores University have been cancelled from September, giving them less than three months to make alternative arrangements. What assurances can the Prime Minister give my constituents that cuts to higher education won't affect students? Well, the assurance, and we welcome the Honourable Lady to her, her, her place, the assurance I can give her is that we are actually going to increase the number of university places by 10,000 uh, in the coming year because uh, we want to see higher education expand. And the other assurance I can give her is that we are committed to the Brown Review that the last government set up, set up on an all-party basis, to look at how we can make sure that higher education is affordable both for the young people going into higher education but also for our country as a whole. Harriet Baldwin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I uh, praise the Prime Minister's staunch support of the NHS? And, and its budget. And use this opportunity to invite him to uh, Malvern to open our brand new community hospital sometime at his convenience this autumn. Can I, um, can I thank the Honourable Lady? Don't be, uh, don't be so. It's the rules of the House for a government backbencher to support the government. It's not that odd. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, we all remember you doing that very well. Um, <laughs> um, The Honourable Lady makes a, a, um, a very kind invitation, uh, and I would say um, that the commitment we've made to maintain health spending is an important, um, is a very important commitment. And I want to see community hospitals and district general hospitals thrive under this government. David Lammy. Mr. Speaker, can I invite the Prime Minister next season to? take a trip with me from Seven Sisters Tube Station up to Spurs uh, at White Hart Lane. On that journey, he will see a proliferation of betting shops. Will he give local authorities the power to deal with the saturation of betting shops which are preying on working and poor people? Well, that's uh, another um, great invitation uh, that I've received this afternoon. What I'd say to the honourable gentleman is I think there is a balance to strike. On the one hand, we do want to see uh, some of the deregulation that took place was necessary in order not to have uh, over-regulation of these sectors. But yes, I do think there's a case for allowing local authorities greater latitude to decide over some of these things. We made this point from opposition uh, about particularly the issue of lap dancing uh, clubs, where we think local authorities authorities should be given more power and more influence, and it seems to be an issue being taken up more broadly now on the other side. 